You are listening to a production of the Toe Network. This is Laser Knees number 74, turning up the gas. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sona. And this is Thief Sentai Lupin Ranger versus Police Sentai Pot Ranger, episode 29, Pictures Are Memories, and 30, Vacation for Two. Which, man, that's a title for that episode. I was just thinking that Pictures Are Memories, I'm like, well, wait, way to give away, like, the entire hook of the episode, bro. <laughs> Uh, our writer for, t- for 29 was Kaneko Kauri. Didn't screw it up. Yeah. Look, it it must be noted. Uh, I think that puts Kaneko Kauri some, a little closer to half and half. For 30, our writer was Komura Junko. Our episode director for both was Sugihara Teruaki. I think that probably explains why they, def- they, why they really fit well together. Yeah, they did feel like they were directed by the same book. And if I may, I'm just going to jump into the, the overview and, and the takeaway from these episodes. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah. Go right ahead. All right. So the biggest bit for me, beyond how episode 30 was basically a massive neon sign reading, uh, the end is nigh, thus necessitating them just putting the pedal to the floor, which, I mean, like, look, I'm here for it. But it, it just really hit me how much the show seems to want to explore, not not even make a definitive statement necessarily, but just to like take a thoughtful look at the idea of hero and anti-hero in a way that kind of put me in mind of Jetman or Shinkenger, just in the way that it's it's trying to explore what sorts of people you'd have to be to be a hero or an anti-hero, etc. And look, I'm not... I'm not throwing out those names to try and lend some weight to a thin argument. I mean, I am doing that, but I'm not only doing that. Because the comparisons are really strong to me, if only because we now have these two teams embodying these two different kinds of superheroics, and we've just had these two episodes, uh, and, you know, the, the all the ones that came before, that made a lot of really strong and interesting comparisons between them. We've got this one team trying to accomplish a a relatively selfish goal, or, you know, kind of selfish adjacent, but it it is a goal of getting back the people they love. Not necessarily that I've ever heard everyone who was lost on that day, but also it's not not that, but mostly we're just talking about Hey, I lost my brother, I lost my fiance, I lost my best friend, I want and they all just agree they want them back. So, you know, it's it's a different thing. Uh they're they're going to get them back by developing a certain set of skills. Uh, if I may get kind of Liam Neeson for a sec. Um then you compare that to the Pat Rangers who, like, yeah, they are getting a paycheck to do what they do, but their de facto leader on the ground anyway, uh, feels like a dude who wants to do the right thing because it's the right thing, while at the same time having the hitch in his heroism that he not infrequently confuses the symptom, e.g. Lupin Rangers, with the disease. Crime! And his priorities aren't always in the right place, which, you know, gives him some interesting things to do. But by having these two teams bounce off each other and work so frequently at cross-purposes, I've, it, it hit me these episodes that we're learning that the line between hero and anti-hero is relatively porous, even as, at the extremes, they're just so different that it's hard to imagine either cast being the same people they were if they were in the other's shoes, 
which points not just to a nuanced understanding of people on the writer's parts, but also a really good hand at expressing it. Because it's one thing to have a feel for how people work, it's another to put that out there in an interesting way for, instance, a children's adventure series. Uh, now, despite how relatively chosen one it all is, the people are still in the only places they could be. Even if the global police, for instance, had got to Kairi, Toma, and Umika before Koguri did, uh, and, and then Koguri was inspired by that to snatch up the police, the show wouldn't be the same. You can't just swap these two teams out for one another. It'd be three dirty, hairy cops fighting some really Robin Hood thieves. And, and like, it's not the deepest observation, but episodes like the ones we got here really got me thinking about the ways you do characterization for reasons that will become obvious as the episode goes on. And I just, I was just really struck by how much I enjoyed the distinctions they drew between our two hero teams and more specifically uh, our red. I feel like at this point in the series is a really good time to be emphasizing those distinctions especially between Keichiro and Kairi as the Reds, because they kind of embody what their whole teams are, you know, as is their position as the Red. Like, because episode 30 is kind of around the time that we ramp into the big plot and get moving towards our end goals. And, I mean, I guess that's, you know, why you have the clip show right before it. Like, here's the recap, and we're going. And at this point, we should have everyone really firmly established. And I feel like this episode really drives home the fact that Lupin Ranger versus Pot Ranger has succeeded in firmly establishing both teams. Because if it hadn't, we'd come out of 30 feeling like it was very out of place and confusing and no one was quite right in how they were acting. But Keichiro and Kairi's responses to their situations feels very natural. I never thought, oh, he's acting out of character, this is out of character for him, this isn't the way he's been up until now. I didn't really have that thought about either of them. Instead, we really, through this episode, nailed down exactly who they are and like what their conflicts are and what they're going to have to deal with as we head into the larger plot. Keichiro is going to have to start pulling apart as you summed it up the symptom and the disease he's gonna have to start separating the lupin rangers and what they're doing from this larger disease of gangler crime and learn to trust criminals as the lupin rangers who aren't actually hurting anyone and you know see that things aren't quite as black and white as his current sense of justice dictates that they would be and Kyrie is going to have to come to terms with a lot of stuff about himself and how he relates to others and how he sees himself affecting how he sees others. And I think after the past few years, it just feels pretty nice to have an idea of where the show is going and why. Yeah, it really is. Because um, I don't think that's a feeling we've been able to have in either one direction or the other since at least Tokyujer. Because, I mean, even if in in Q-Ranger we kind of knew where it was going towards fighting... What's his face? Yeah, Zed. No, in, in Q-Ranger. Oh, Q-Ranger. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, big, angry spaceman. Um, yes. We didn't really... Oh, uh, Don Armage, right? Yeah, there we... he's Armageddon. That's right. 
Like, we didn't, we didn't really have a good understanding of why any specific things were happening, because I don't think the writer wanted to be writing the main plot half the time. I mean, can, can you blame him, especially when the side plots he got to were, you know, the best? Yeah. Um, and, you know, in Zooger, I don't think we ever had any idea where that show was headed, and I'm not sure it did either. And all the places it seemed to want to go, it never got to go. You know, again, so. Komura seems to have learned a lot from Because Absolutely. now we've got a very clear picture of exactly where this show wants to be headed and why it wants to go there. And I didn't watch Ninja. Yeah, it's, uh, again, I act- yeah, I liked it at the time. You didn't miss much. I mean, it was, again, it was no fault of Ninjers. Maybe one day I'll go back to it, just to, to give it its fair shot. Get that, uh, what is it, the, the completionist thing going. Because, um, I mean, I'm never going back and finishing Gaim. I gave that its fair shot. I left Gaim because Gaim was bad. Uh, but yeah. I I quit Ninjur through no fault of Ninjur. So I feel like it deserves a fair shake. If it's bad, I just won't watch more, but... Yep, there you go. I feel like it. Des- if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna perma quit, Ninja, uh, it deserves to be Ninja's own. <laughs> I I have to agree. Yeah. I I owe it that much, to at least let it you know, screw itself over. Just it just show me that you suck. There we go. Now we're done. Bye. But so one day I'll get there. But right now we're gonna we're gonna keep talking about Lupin Ranger versus Pot Ranger. Let's do that thing. We're going to talk Get about into uh, our... the not-great stuff. Well, seeing as we were just talking about some not-great stuff, I think that makes for a pretty good segue. Why don't you start us off, Sono? Okay, so, you know, while in general I'm not super fond of wasting time on clip shows because there's other things we could be doing, looking at you, Zamigo, where are you? <sighs> kidding. Um, and that's why this is in, you know, our not-great stuff section. I will admit this episode gave a pretty good framework as to why we're having a clip show and did really kind of provide us with a nice bit of forward re- momentum for the actual plot of the show. It did. It really did. Uh, part of me wonders, and, and this was suggested by, to me by my partner, that maybe it was originally intended to pop in a week later or didn't properly take into it. Oh, pardon me. I'm just going to take that. A part of me wonders if it wasn't originally intended to pop in during, like, around the time of the first airing of the new Common Rider, like, same week, to try and pick up a few people who might have fallen out of Sentai as they drift into the new Rider, just as a thought. Reasonable. But still, as, as far as clip shows go, though, I will say that they did find a fun way to go about it, but like you say, like, it's, it's useless to complain about a clip show, because there it is. It is one of the better frameworks we've had in a long time. Mm. Uh, it's probably the best one since Ghostsager. Which one was in Ghostsager? Uh, Ghostsager's clip show... What were they doing? I think it may have been the one where they're like, we maybe need a team leader. Oh, that one. That was a good one. So, like, here's here's why I should do it. Here's all the cool things I did. Now I'm gonna go try and prove myself. Oh, I screwed. And they, they cycle through maybe three of them. And then they're like, and then uh, Red's like, Nah, we're all friends. We don't need a leader. Which I think is, like, I really like that in the context of that show. Honestly, anytime a Sentai wants to get together and just say, Look, we know that the Red is the one who gets a lot of the narrative hooks. The Red isn't our leader. 
we're all friends. The red is just the protagonist. I appreciate I mean, it did... even more when they make they like explicitly make someone else the leader. Yeah, yeah. I just it hasn't happened a lot, but it's been a couple times. It is good. I, I all I can think is I would not mind going back to like uh, way back in the Showa era. Get the Bioman thing, and maybe this is just how they did it more often in '80s Sentai. I couldn't say, but you didn't hear it. Like the red, only sort of like his thing having primacy or, or an importance to the plot that is different than that of his friends. That didn't start to like thirty or forty. Honestly, he was just kind of there most of the time, and and in a way that I liked. Also, he could talk to animals. I don't know why his bioman powers let him do that, but, but he could talk not? to the animals. Yeah, I mean, look, I got, no, I got no problem with it. It just sometimes they'd forget it for long periods of time because they didn't really have him around animals. But every now and again, he'd be around an animal, and I would be like, "Hey, man, look out! The bad guy's gonna send a robot after you." And he's like, "Hey, thanks, pigeon." Like I know in Geki Ranger, Yellow was the leader. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, they they act they outright are like here, like we need to pick a leader, and like Red's all excited because he thinks it's gonna be him, and they're like, it's her. No, you are five. You have no impulse control. But I'm I'm really cool though. Yes, but you're not a leader. John, we love you, but you're the dumbest baby. Yeah, you don't and, know things. Like she plans and stuff. Yeah. She thinks about anything before doing it. Um, I, f I feel like in Gow Ranger, Yellow was also the leader. I may be wrong about that. He may have just was. Because he was like that. But there, there are a couple of them where Red isn't the leader. Good. We need more of them. Um, I mean, I know I know in Bokenger, Red is the leader, but Sakura's basically the leader. You know she does all the work. Like, it, yeah, yeah. And again, when all the transformation devices are broken, she is the one who will just be like, what's up? I got these I got these big old guns. So, just saying. Bokenger's really good. Bokenger is really good, you guys. Like, if, if you want to see, like, early 2000s Tsukasa with a bunch of guns, go watch Bokenger. Yeah, dude. Sakura is, like, top-tier Pink Ranger. Like, easily. I, I have to agree. Easily Again, the like, best one. The entire team gets kidnapped. She doesn't have a transformation device. She just grabs her her. What's the name of the yellow? I forget her name. Uh, Natsuki. Yeah, just she grabs Natsuki, hands her a, a like an AK forty seven, grabs two of her own. So we're gonna go. We're gonna go bail out the boys. Taka 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 taka. <laughs> just like they're back to back doing machine guns it's great like and that that's not even like the height of why she's the best because like the cinderella episode is easily it's, like easily however, just is, one of the best episodes of sentai in general it's true but i will say the the like you have to explain a lot of stuff for hey why is the cinderella episode so good for the other ones just yeah she saves the entire team how she do that guns do, do you like seeing a lady just fight some monsters with just some guns. Though the Cinderella episode also has that. Oh, that's like, true. There's, there's that. that one bit where she goes back into the Cinderella dimension. Or she has she has the lady bring her back into the Cinderella dimension. And the lady's like, yeah, I can bring stuff from the outside. Here's a gun. <laughs> she knows what's up. It's, it's, a, 
I mean, it's it's a much more heartfelt episode than that, and Sakura has this really special character arc that I feel like Shoaikawa is the only one who had the balls to pull off. Yeah. I f- like, Kobayashi could if she wanted to, but I think she's more of a big picture kind of writer. Yeah, that's how it's always felt to me anyway. Uh, where I feel like Aikawa is like, here's a bunch of small interconnected pictures. Mm. Uh, I feel like that's more of how his Sentai writing works. But it's it's very much a show Aikawa sort of storyline that Sakura has, and it's mm. incredible. It really is. Like, the only way it could be more so is if she, like, loses her, a chunk of her memory midway through and just starts having philosophical discussions with people. It's just, he, he, he likes that. The thing about this, the Cinderella episode, and there's so many things about it, but at the very end of the episode, she's like, nah, I'm after my prince. But I'm not gonna sit here. I'm gonna go get him. And then at the end of the show, she does it. And it's great. It really is. I, I know Bo Kenger's a bit of an older series, which is hard to think about because that was the year that I graduated high school. But, you know, I know a lot of people came in on Shinkenger and Gokaiger. I think a lot of people have since come in um, on some of the newer ones. S- just Bokenger, I forget where I was going with that, but Bokenger is real good, and I, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, oh, now I remember. Like, if if you've come in in maybe the past five years, come into Rider and Sentai, uh, you remember the the tarot card arc of Drive very early on. That lady, that lady's Boken Pink. That dude who died, that's Boken Blue. Go watch them. They're great. They are far better in their in Bokendra than they were in Drive, and they were really good I, in Drive. Like, yeah, those just those the... two episodes. Not even because they're in it, just from a narrative standpoint, those two episodes are like the highlight of Drive. Yeah, I that sounds like a defensible position. Uh, those those were two really good episodes. That actually, I think, because that those were the episodes that felt most like a police drama. Mm. And were maybe the only episodes that felt like a police drama. Yeah, yeah, I could go with that. But, like, go on, go watch Bokenger. It's so good. Um, and everyone who's been listening to the show for, like, three or four years, take your shots now. But coming coming back to, to Lupot, I am mad that we had to once again double back to make fun of Toma about when he was being mind-controlled by a gangler. Umeka and Kairi, this is your friend. Please stop. You you definitely now know what the situation was. Maybe cut it out and stop, like, trying to humiliate your friend. Yeah, it's not... I mean, first off, it wasn't really funny to begin with when they're making fun of him for it. And, again, it's not like Kyrie and Umika couldn't stand to get a better cardio routine of their own. Like, I don't know what kinds of powers you get from putting on one of the VS suits, but a well-functioning cardiovascular system, it's just good. If you can have one, you should. It's, like, I'm not saying that as, a, like, a moral imperative. I'm just saying, I know I could have, I could stand to have mine be better. But, like, I just, I swear to Bog. Also, we should all look so good in spandex, you know? Like, they're making fun of him, and I'm just, like, how? How are you going to make fun of him for that? He looked good. He moves great. What What's the problem? I mean, I do know that the problem is that, you know, we're just making a joke about lulls the expectations placed upon dudes vis-a-vis their ability to project and perform being a proper man means that even the slightest implication that they will like something that is even 
the slightest bit feminine coded is a threat to their sense of self. But, I mean, can we just not play into that? Because that is silly. Like, it is it is self-destructive and bad. And also, when you stop and look at it, like, Oh yeah, so manly, so strong. I'm so manly and strong that if I wear something pink, I'll die. <laughs> like, that's, that's the one thing I will give to Sakuya in this episode and in that episode. Like, he did own it. He was into it. And his his team didn't want to make fun of him. They wanted to support this thing that he was really into. And, like, look, I will say, that is the thing I really hate about that episode. Not hate. Resent. Just It's just resent. It's it's a passive thing. But I don't... I, I hate having to give anything to Sakuya. But I do gotta give him that. Because Sakuya was cool. The, the only time he was, like, not cool is when he's like, yeah, I'd like to be someone's senpai. Call me senpai. Please. I mean, he even, wasn't even a jerk about even it. Even that was, like, kind of endearing. Yeah, it's, it's he was just sweet. Like, he was just making Toma uncomfortable. Which was bad, and he kind of needs to learn some boundaries. Yeah, Sakuya needs to just stop making people uncomfortable. And, again, I don't think that would be a bad thing for him to learn over the course of the series. Speaking of Sakuya making people uncomfortable... Uh, we did also have to bring up the gender swap episode, and I can't believe that these are words coming out of my mouth because I usually, an emphasis on usually because Lupot isn't the first one that's wildly flawed, but usually I enjoy kind of how Sentai wants to explore gender through these episodes. Goanger does a really phenomenal job of it, but it's, I just hate that we had to spend any time remembering that this episode happened. Yeah, Though I do love good. that Tsukasa, like, sees the picture of it and is immediately like, Okay, burn it. Burn it, though. At least one of us can be free from this hell. Oh, if only, if only. Because, you know, it's, it's... I just keep going back. I think... I feel like the nice thing we can say is that Sakuya being into it was almost cool if only he had a sense of boundaries. If he could do boundaries and... Like, the joke wasn't that Keichiro looked super uncomfortable. Yeah. I, I think I think it's the sort of thing that would make me like Sakia. I It's one of those things, like, I think if we could just see it through other people's eyes, it might be interesting, but then it wasn't. It's so. just, I wish it was written better, is yeah. the thing. Yeah. But I think the, the thing that really kind of got me in this episode, all nitpicky stuff aside is the assertion that it would be easier on the Lupin Rangers if Keichiro forgot about them. Because that doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. Because it's he didn't stop being a Pot Ranger. He didn't, he didn't really even forget that he was a Pot Ranger somehow. But, like, he, he still knew he was a police officer. He's still going to see you guys doing Lupin Ranger stuff. Even if he doesn't already remember like, who they are and what they did, they're still committing a crime and he's gonna want to arrest them. All this did was erase any amount of sympathy he may have already gained for them through having interacted with them. Also, it's it's not like Tsukasa and Sakuya don't remember. This doesn't really change anything for the Lupin Rangers. So they're just kind of being dicks about it and not wanting to help a person in gangla-related trouble. Yeah, which... I mean, it really was a weird thing, especially since, like, after their third time getting away from Keiichiro, he would develop his hatred of them along the way. 
but with how he still definitely remembers how much he hates crime. You know, crime, that thing the Lupins do a lot of, what with them being powered by and named after a famous criminal. You know, that <laughs> crime being their whole thing. Yeah, it just, it doesn't change their situation even a little bit. It's not like if he yeah. forgets, they're never going to have the Pot Rangers getting in their way again. Yeah. Because one, he still is one, and he still yeah. wants to stop crime. And two, there are two others who haven't forgotten anything. Yeah, it's... guys, what the heck? Nothing has... like, even if Sukasa is more sympathetic to them, which she seems to be, mm. it still changes zero things. Yep, none things. So going into 30, uh, this is super nitpicky about pretty much an aside comment, but I didn't like it. it I don't appreciate Umika characterizing what Keichiro did back in episode 17 as ditching Mana just to run off and do work. Because that's yeah. not what happened. That's not even a little bit what happened. Keichiro weighed his options and he talked it through with Mana about both of their priorities and came to the conclusion that their relationship wouldn't work because she needs to pursue music in another country and he needs to pursue justice here. Like, it was this really mature and touching response to her feelings, and Umika makes him sound like a huge jerk. And I don't yeah, I is... don't appreciate it. No, I don't either. I mean, first off, like, that episode made me have feelings, and you know I hate that. But, like, I, I get that Umika doesn't necessarily have the audience's perspective on how it all went down, but, I mean, come on. He, he wasn't being a chump. He was actually being really stand-up, and, and he communicated how much he cares about Mana, and did he tell her everything? No, but at the same time, it was... He he was very clear and tried to let her down in as nice a way as you can. I mean, honestly, the, the way that whole episode went was so good. It's just, and he I, just he cares about her because he's not a jerk. It's just, I can't really be sympathetic to Umika, like, not having our perspective on it, because Keitro did explain why he didn't go see her off at the airport. He explained that to Umika. And Umika and Mana seem close enough that they've probably had a phone or email conversation about this since she left. Like, lay off the guy. He did the right thing. Yeah, he did. Like, I, I know there's a lot of love for narratives about dudes giving up their emotional lives for their work and, and all that, but, like, Keitro is actually one of the ones I'd let go with that, because it's not, oh, grim responsibility, the sacrifice of man. It's just, nah, these are my limitations, this is what I can and can't do as a person, and he's, because he knows that and knows the effects that will have on other people, he's trying to do good for other people even though he could get, I don't know, just the rush of, uh, LOL, I have a girlfriend, LOL. Because, you know, he doesn't treat Mana like she's a prop in his life. Because he's a good dude. So, this is this is less of a, of a pedantic complaint about a throwaway line. But I'm unsure why the Pot Rangers felt like they couldn't let Noelle in on what they were doing. Because... Like, the whole mission was we're gonna go... Keitro's gonna go and he's gonna pretend to be some CEO trying to buy this collection piece. 
and he's going to bring it back and we're going to use it as police officers. And they're like, we can't, we can't tell Noel about this. But Noel has been the one providing the VS vehicles for the Pot Rangers to use. Like, if they needed it and they brought it back, they'd be like, hey, Noel, make sure this is in good shape. We want to use it. And, like, why wouldn't he? They don't give a clear explanation on this, especially because it's essentially something that belongs to Noel. I'm, I'm kind of hoping it turns out they don't tell him about stuff like this because they're worried he, he's a secret big bad somehow. I mean, I, I do feel like Tsukasa sometimes might think he is the leak. Which, I mean, you know, fair enough. He, he does come out and basically say, hey, what's up? I definitely share information with your enemies. Like, I, w I really want us to have an episode about that. Because that she does... I'm kind of getting that vibe through certain things. But I just wish, with how much of the home front side of the episode is about we need to prevent Noelle from figuring out what's going on um, through interactions with Noelle and pretending that everything is normal. I wish there was more than just this kind of throwaway line of, oh, we. by the way, Noelle can't know about this. Like, why can't he know about this, though? I'm I'm fine with, with he can't know. Just tell me why, because that's not clear on the surface. Yeah, it is a weird thing. Very arbitrary. Uh, I also struggled a bit with the framing of Kyrie's half of the story in this episode. Uh, the story itself, even and even really the framing, aren't bad. I'm actually, I'm super into Kyrie's side of the story, and we're going to talk about that in a bit is just Kyrie trying to help the girl and feeling bad when Keitro helps her instead. Like, there's some really good emotion there. I'm just not totally sure what that emotion is supposed to be. Because he responds to the situation by remembering this time when he was jealous of a lost girl that his brother helped because it was someone else getting his brother's attention instead of him. And I understand that. I understand that emotion, but that doesn't quite line up with the situation of Keitro being able to get the girl's hair tie back before Kyrie could give her the replacement. Like, I feel that felt like an entirely separate emotion. Like, I, I understand that emotion too, but they don't line up. It's one is A and one is G. Like, yeah, it's, it is a weird thing, yeah. Like, I get the. Kyrie's got this feeling of helplessness and that he's equating Keitra with his brother mentally in that, you know, they're both these really good people that he just can't see himself living up to. But it feels like there's a disconnect between the flashback that he has of his brother and the present of Keitro that I just can't totally reconcile. Which, yeah, it is a really weird point of comparison for them to make I, I i have my my sort of circuitous how to get from a to b but like even if i do spin out a bunch of stuff to contextualize it that it requires that extra bit of contextualization does kind of say it does absolutely mean that it didn't do what it meant to do at least not as well as it could have done yeah it's I, it's i really like point a and i really like point b yeah. It's just there's a gap in the middle that I can't kind of make, I can't make the leap from one to the other. Yeah, I think as near as I can tell, or at least the, the, the nonsense I spun out to make it connect, was just the idea that 
oh yeah, I didn't actually spend that time to go find the thing. I took the easy way out of just, you know, getting her a new one. And that's why he feels bad. But they don't say that in the show, so that's just me, like... Yeah, and, like, I get that, and I get that it's, you know, he remembers... But it's not, it's not on screen. He remembers his brother doing this thing and feels bad that in his memory he didn't actually try to help. And mm. now, you know, he he tries to help, but it's in this sort of deceitful way. And Keitro actually succeeds in helping in putting in all that effort. And, like, I, I get... I get how I'm supposed to get from A to B, but I just can't quite make it there. They just don't- they just- they're too- they're just different enough that I can't make them line up. No, that- which, you know, is legit. But again, like, the- all the stuff that's there, both point A and point B, are both really good. Mm. It's just the actual- the- the puzzle pieces don't feel like they're putting- going together right, and that's- that's the problem. Yeah, and it- and look- that is a capital P problem. Also, I'm just not here for the fart monster. Like, sorry, not sorry. I'm, I'm not here for it. Though I admit the part where Ghosh is, like, starting to cross dimensions and smells it and is like, nope, 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 and right the heck out, and just kind of sticks her arm through, that was a really good joke. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. That was, that joke was incredible, but I'm still not here for the fart monster. I mean, fair. You're wrong, but fair. Uh, spe no, speaking, I, of Gosh, not, though, but... speaking of Ghosh, though, speaking of Ghosh, I'm gonna go right into our good stuff, because our girl's just making the scene in 29. She is yeah, she on is. camera getting her hands dirty. Like, we've we've known for a little while that she likes performing, like, horrific experimentations on live subjects, be they human or gangler or whatever, um, but now she's doing it where we can see it. Yeah. Like, and they, and... Like I said at the top, like, they actually set this up in the clip show and are gonna pay it off in 31 where we're gonna have kind of a whole episode about this. But they do put this in the clip show that does give us some forward momentum in the plot. Um, and just, I'm I'm so glad that we're finally getting this. Like, it's it's finally happening. Yeah, I'm so pumped. So pumped! But also, like, I have to say, I appreciate that the safe head porter man is is a multi-use monster that is not terribly expensive for them to do. Uh, just on top of how it's, you know, kind of uh, an abomination before God and man. I like when you can do both of those things at the same time. I like when I can see them finding clever ways to conserve resources. Because I'm pretty sure the animation during that Lyman fight was not cheap. And I think they're probably going to want to be able to do that a second time. Yeah. So, you know, save where you can, everybody. Yeah, it's just... I feel like Komura learned from how cool Naria was, and is now like, okay, I wanna... I wanna kind of do what I didn't get to do last time with Naria. Yeah. Which, like, thank goodness. Because not to bring back too many old frustrations, but Naria's a space assassin whose primary weapons are nunchaku, that are also guns. She has friggin' gun chucks. How was she off on the side? It was unjust. They they did Naria dirty. They really did. Everyone we're not we're never gonna get over it. Zuoger was the first show we did on Laser Knees. Uh so that's that's gonna be the meme that carries us. 
Yeah, well, and look, not for nothing. It, I, I keep feeling it's a, uh, come on, brain, let's do the braining thing. It's, it's a fair comparison because these are both shows written by Junko Kimura. So, you know. And, I mean, really, when... And Zuo, I cut Zuodra a lot of slack because it was her first lead writing show. And I'm always willing to cut someone some slack on their first project. It doesn't change the fact that Zuodra was aggressively mediocre. Yeah. Not bad, just very mediocre. Yeah. But honestly, like, there's a point where I, I resent mediocre more than I resent badness. Because at least badness is is honest enough so that I don't have to pretend to like any part of it. It depends on the kind of badness for me. That's um, fair. That's fair. But it's just... Komura honestly seems to be learning from the flaws in Zuoger. Mostly. 99%. Uh, because Zamigo has some serious bard syndrome that she just seems to think is a good way to write a mysterious character. Mm. And... I'm not, I mean, you know, two's a coincidence, so... Yeah. But, you know, she gets one more show before I call this a recurring problem. And I hope it isn't. Yeah, you know, two's a coincidence, three's a pattern. Yep. Uh, but I do like the implication that Keitro and Tsukasa kind of go, like, way, way back, because Keitro loses memory all the way back to Tsukasa cuddling the stuffed dog when they were in the police academy together. So you have to assume that he's also lost other memories from around that time as well. Though he does seem to still remember that he's a police officer. Um, or maybe, you know, they just told him, like, hey, you're a police officer. And he's like, well, that, is, that sure is what I was planning to do with my life, so that makes sense. But he, when he first loses his memories, he completely forgets Sakuya, but he remembers Tsukasa. Like, he, he outright is like, Tsukasa, what's going on? Is this guy a friend of yours? So I kind of want to know how far back they actually go. Like, were they in high school together or middle school or whatever? Did they both decide on this career path? Like, give me an episode where they both put on their high school career forms that they plan to be police officers. Uh, Tsukasa, because she, like, her grandfather was a police officer. She knows it's decent money. Um, she does, you know, she is here for helping people, but she knows it's a good, stable job, and Keitru just because justice. Yep. Uh, but, like, give me the episode where they both write that down, and then Keitru's like, oh, you also want to be a police officer? We're best friends now. Which, like, look, let's be real, that is a thousand percent how he makes his best friend. And I'm not saying that to mock him, that's... That is probably that's how I tend to make friends. Just like I'm in I'm in a new environment. Uh, I'm just gonna sit here with my D and D book. Cool. All right, the other nerds will just come to me. <laughs> right on. <laughs> Makes it much easier. But I I am legit surprised though that we don't get to hear more of him just being surprised about all kinds of things. I mean, he was surprised about most of the things in his life, but I wanted more. I I find it so charming when in a children's adventure show particularly but honestly any sort of fantastic show where someone just like wow these are the words that are coming out of my mouth huh so we could have just got a whole bunch of that i i do like to think though that he was in the background rushing forward to try and help sukasa during her flashback you know the one where she wrecked that dude as just like that's when he decided they were going to be friends because he's like i'll save you and then she just throws that dude on the ground He's like, oh. She's an adult! I want to know how to do that. Tell yeah. me how to do that. 
We'll be police officers together. Kitra not remembering Jim, though, and being excited about, oh my god, look at this cool police robot, and then, you know, thinking Hilltop was a famous actor that they clearly couldn't name on screen. Um, yep. Like, that was that was really precious. Like, we, we don't get to see him be excited and goofy very often, but we see it a lot in these two episodes, and it gave me life. Yeah, it was really nice. And also, like... On the one hand, a part of me is like, so why are we making that comparison? Because I, I don't think dude looks especially like Eddie Murphy, but I don't know. I thought that was weird. But on the other hand, I mean, he's being compared to Beverly Hills Cop era Eddie Murphy. And like, you could do worse. Like, if someone compares me to someone who was at the top of their game with a basically untouchable career behind them, I like, I'd be pretty chuffed. That's pretty nice. I mean, because, like, that era of Eddie Murphy, before, like, before stuff started getting real uneven, that was, that was primo. Not to mention, uh, Axel's Foley, you know, the theme song from Beverly Hills Cop? So good. I need to go back and watch that movie. It's been a while. Anyway, um, but yeah, it is also correct that he got excited about Jim, because, I mean, Jim is a really cool police robot. Remember that time he pretended to be a gangler? And then got kidnapped by Gauche. It was a bad time for him. Yeah, it was. Good um, time for us, but bad for him. It's just, you know, like, having his- having- Keitro having his memories removed didn't explicitly revert him to an earlier age, mentally. Yeah. But it did rob him of experiences that would have caused him personal growth during that time. And I feel like this, we got to see a version of Keitro from maybe, like, five years ago in his life, or- 10 years, maybe 5-10 years ago, where he's in kind of his mid to late teens or early 20s, and is just this goofy, excitable dude who's a little too eager about justice. I, I, I like that idea. And I have to say, like, as this is a Kaneko Kaori episode, I sort of wonder if this isn't the show, like, trying to say that once Sakuya stops being so Sakuya, he'll actually have a chance to be a really good police officer. So, you know, that'd be nice. That's a comforting thought. But I, I do really appreciate Keitro's kind of inherent passion for justice and how, you know, you can take all of his memories away, but you can't take that. And just at the mention of the gangler showing up again, he's just out the door, even though he doesn't know what's going on, doesn't remember anything about who he is. But he's like, nope, uh, I'm super messed up right now, and I'm definitely not going to let you make this happen to anyone else. I, I love having this dude in the show. It's it's just the sheer earnestness of him. He's not going to let you turn away from the person you could be if you wanted to. Like If you were willing to work for it, you could be this good guy. He's going to get you there. He just wants you to embrace your inner altruism and help people because it's right to help people. Because he's a giant nerd and I love him. I also love Goody jumping into his own flashback clips to talk about how he's the coolest giant robot. Goody, you deserved this moment of just telling everyone how you're the best. It's true. And look, very few characters could pull that off without becoming absolutely insufferable. However, uh, Goody is a boy who is both good enough and cool enough to do it. Also, there's just- 
Noel is so extra that him planning his own welcoming party and using his own welcoming party to get both teams together to hang out and have a good time and take a break from all the monster fighting together, like that honestly feels like exactly the kind of thing he'd do. And I do yeah. appreciate the kind of light callback to the episode with Noel and Toma and how much Noel respects Toma as a professional. Uh, to have Toma cook with, like, the absolute best ingredients they could get for the party. Because they, they just have this, like, Umeka kind of mentions it to Sakuya, and Toma's like, Oh, yeah, he did really get the best stuff for me. Yeah. And he's, he's all happy while he's cooking. Like, that's that was really cute. He really was. And, you know, speaking of a good and cool enough boy, you know? Because I swear, on paper, Noel is a character I absolutely despise. You know, he's super clever, and he's smart. And he just likes to pepper his, his speech with random bits of French. And he's so capable. And he's so very, very extra. And yet, between the vulnerability he's written having and the way he's played, he just he seems like a really chill fella. Especially since they do the stuff with him being all considerate about people by like, oh yeah, I wanted him to get a chance to cook with the best ingredients. I mean, also, we get to eat the best ingredients, but... Look at him, he's so happy. Like, it, it shouldn't be a surprise, though, because Kimura did sell us on Misao, and he also should have been incredibly cringe-inducing. Like, really, Misao should have been the biggest edgelord. Yeah, or or just, like, sometimes they, they're just a little close to playing his trauma for comedy, but also that alone should have made, should have, like, made it so we don't want that. And yet he's great. See, I, th I think the reason it worked for Misao is because, like, Misao never tried to play his trauma for comedy. Like, he always played his trauma 100% straight, because he was traumatized by it. Yep. Um, but Komura was, if I remember correctly, behind a lot of the Ikari Guy episodes. Ah. And he also yeah, okay. should have been awful on paper. Like, he, like... He's loud and obnoxious and doesn't really fit in with the theme of pirates. Like, he doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, like, and he's a blatant audience insert character. But he was, he was so charming and fun, and he just, he worked somehow. And she was part of that. Kimura has a way with Sixth Rangers. I cannot deny that. And look, I'm glad someone does, because, okay, gonna bring out this dead horse to beat it, but the, the dude right in Q-Ranger does not have that way, because President Hot Wings was god-awful. Yeah. I mean, it's... I know he was technically, like, the 12th, not the 6th, but still. He was the 6th, he was, he was the 6th archetype. Yeah. Like, he was the one fitting into the slot that is usually reserved for the 6th Ranger, because, I mean, like, look, Decca Break isn't the 6th Ranger either. He's technically the seventh, I believe. But uh, he's the one with the big six on his outfit. Yep. But it's it's just, like, I feel like he didn't want to be writing him. Yeah, I... I feel yeah. like the problem is he didn't want to write uh, any, of, any of Surugi's stuff. He didn't even really want to be writing Lucky's stuff. He just wanted to write about Naga and Stinger. And how they have, how they have excellent partners... And whether that's partners in the professional sense or partners in quotation marks with a wink. Just, you know, the the affection they have for their robot partners. Yep. 
Yep. And the affection their robot partners have for them. Man, remember that episode where Balance is like, I just can't imagine the universe without him. Like, oh, that was beautiful. Sorry, I know that I always go to that one, but you know, when there's also fair, a lot though. of really great Stinger stuff, Stinger and Champ stuff, I mean, like that time when uh, Stinger was suddenly the, the bard, except they called him a clown. It's like, okay, all I got is singing, but I'm going to sing to you about how much I love you, bro. It was, it was beautiful. Like, those those were the episodes that he wanted to be writing. Though I am I am mad forever that we saw Echidna like twice and never again. I get it. I get why. That's hell to set up and edit. But don't introduce me to this actual perfect being and then never let me see her again. Yep. That's unfair. Jerks. That's mean. Though, I mean like, really the worst the worst of it Always and forever will be Aubrey Killer. He is the worst sixth of all time. The Go On Wings, as far as I remember, are not far behind, but I'm rewatching Go On and hopefully I'll like them better the second time around. But Aubrey Killer is just, he's bad. He's a bad character. He's a villain for all but five episodes of that show. Wow. Like, they. I mean, his, that makes sense with the name, because, yeah. His, his plot arc goes on for way, way too long. And then they're like, now he's redeemed! And I'm like, hey, no he's not. Yep. You don't get to tell me that. You can try. Like, not that long ago, he was still being a huge dick. And also flirting with this, like, eight-year-old. Yeah, not, not okay with it. Like, even if his intent was, I'm doing this so that she'll, like, do the things that I want, so that and I can... That, that's not better. So that I can, like, beat up Abare Red because I'm mad about him, I guess. Like, still. It's not gross. better. Yeah, no. Like, uncomfortable. Hey, hey, what's up? I only hit on that child so that she would uh, vaguely irritate this guy I don't like. Like, I mean, I'm glad you aren't hitting on her to, like, make out with her, but not better. Not better. Really, toying with the affections of children is just not okay. Yeah, um... Don't, you just don't... I'm gonna actually move off this subject, because this yeah. could get real um, uncomfortable real quick, I'm sorry. Abba Ranger is a wild ride. It, every time you tell me something new about it, I'm just like, I don't think I need to see this. <laughs> like, I, I have a friend who watched Abba Ranger maybe like six to eight months ago, and he was talking to me about it as he was watching it, and I'm like, man, that is so wild i don't even remember it i mean i was watching hong kong subs and i was on heavy painkillers at the time but abba ranger's a wild ride and abba killer is the worst easily my least favorite character in all of sentai but cir circling back to good things and to lupat going into episode 30 i need to point out something very important on the form that they're preparing when they're uh you know getting keitro ready for his mission we see that Commander Hilltop's first name is Samuel, and I just- he's such a good dude, and I feel like we should all know his full name is Samuel yeah. Hilltop. I- I appreciate that, because I definitely missed that. I'm glad you didn't. Also, it was- it was nice seeing Keitro, even though he was technically working, able to take some time to goof off and relax and just enjoy hanging out with a friend. And they've kind of done- they've done this with Tsukasa, too. They've- she has this episode where she goes off and hangs out with Umika, and Sakuya has this episode where he's 
doing aerobics with Toma. And I appreciate how this show allows the Pot Rangers to be people outside of their jobs. Their their whole life isn't about fighting the gangler and being the police and fighting, doing monster fights and giant robot stuff. Which, like, as much as I adore Deco Ranger, it is my second favorite Sentai. I love it dearly, all of my heart. No one in Deco Ranger ever goes home. They don't. Yeah, no. Like, I'm pretty sure they live at Decabase. They I... don't. They don't have lives outside of being Deca Rangers. I know we see uh, Deca Blue's sister at one point because she's getting married, so we meet her. But no, there's there's no lives for them outside of being Deca Rangers. They're not people beyond their jobs. Like they they sort of are, but they aren't. Where in in Pot Ranger, everyone goes home at the the three of them go home at the end of the day. They have things unrelated to work that they care about and you know that makes them more believable as people it does and on top of how good it is from a character angle it also really helps create this nice contrast with the lupin rangers who i mean like look they have their own lives but their lives have become getting back their old lives so they never stop being on the clock because all they want is to put that collection together which I mean, that it sucks. Yeah, no, that's but a it, good point. Yeah, which it's just another really good contrast they're drawing and and really drawing into stark relief on this, in, in this episode rather. Um, also, just speaking of of Keichiro and and the lines that get drawn, I just want to point out that Keichiro is both like figuratively and as we saw in the show, literally, the sort of guy who always keeps every button on his shirt buttoned up, even in summer. Because of course he is. Of course and he is. And it's a thousand percent who he is. It's great. Also, I just, um, thing I just, I realized just now was that, was to remind myself about their conversation on the bridge. They always seem to have the best conversations on bridges. And that makes me happy. Bridges are, are a good, you know, it's, it's bridging the, the space between people. It's kind of dangerous because they're high up. But also it's, it's, it's a weirdly liminal space. So, of course, that's where these two guys who are kind of all about their own nonsense can open up to each other. It's, it's, I don't know, it's really, it's really beautiful to me. It is very nice. I mean, especially since, it's, it's especially nice since on this one, there's no, so, I'm worried about you, and I'm afraid that, again, completely subtextually, you're going to throw yourself off this bridge, and I don't want you to do that. Because, uh, I don't know, Keichiro and Kairi being friends just puts a smile on my face, especially when it's, they're friends who can talk about these kind of rough things, even if, like, Kairi doesn't do a lot of talking, because he's not the open-up type. They, they have a really interesting dynamic. They do. I really like it. And I, I found it really sweet that they both find an approach towards helping this little girl uh, with her, her lost hair tie problem and trying to make her happy. And that their methods really line up with the personalities we've established for them. Again, this is kind of what I talked about at the beginning, but... Keichiro throws himself headfirst into finding the actual hair tie that she lost, 
while Kyrie seeks out where it came from and buys a new one and intends to pretend that he found the one that she lost. Like, Keitro is very, you know, blinders on, this is the problem, so, you know, A plus B equals C. Hair tie got lost, meaning it's somewhere, so I'm gonna go find it. While, you know, Kyrie's is this kind of more efficient, if not a little deceptive answer to the problem that's still well-intentioned and good-hearted. He's like, it's, we don't know where she lost it, we don't know how far away she was from where we found her, but I did see one while we were walking through the, the kind of markety area, so I'll just go grab it, I'll just go grab it, and I'll give her a new one. Yeah, which... Like, that'll, that'll make her happy, and I can do that quickly. I can make her happy again as quickly as possible, even if I've got to lie a little bit. Which, I mean, maybe maybe someone who's very, like, super against lying, and look, more power to you if that's, if that's you, dear listener, would say that that's wrong, but I'm also just a, uh, it's, it's not, like, it might not be exactly what she wants, but the the item was a symbol for something anyway, so just replace the symbol with the same symbol. It's fine. But it, it also all leads into Kyrie's whole emotional... I, it's not even an arc, but just the way that this emotional thing they've expressed in him in 30 that was just incredibly affecting to me. Because that worry that you aren't a good person, this idea that the good things you do are somehow, I don't know, like, tainted by your it, intentions being less than 100% altruistic... I mean, like, I, I can't help feeling that Keichiro is a presence in the episode that's hard to take your eyes off of, but the Kyrie stuff in the background where he's talking through his flashbacks and how messed up he is that he keeps taking compliments from people about, hey, you're a good person, and he's over here like, nah, dude. Like, I hated that little girl because it seemed like she was taking my brother, this thing that I own, away from me. Like, this, his imposter thing he's got going is incredibly powerful for me, and the kind of thing I'd normally associate with, like, a, a Yasuko Kobayashi show. Which, like, look, it's exciting for me to say that, at least to me, because I enjoy putting Kimura on the same level as Yasuko Kobayashi, because I love her not just for her emotional POV, but also because... She's got that structure, and here in Lupot, man, Komura has been showing she can structure some stuff. Maybe, maybe not the villains, but, you know, everyone's got their speed bumps. But I just, I love that Komura feels like she's planting a flag with that bit, and I love it. Yeah, and again, like, I love this story that they're building around Kairi between this and then the interaction he had with Noelle a few episodes ago about, you know trust is a two-way thing, you gotta prove to me that I can trust you before, like, you gotta prove that I can trust you before I'm gonna trust you, and I've gotta prove that you can trust me, and if we can't do that, so be it. And I feel like this really kind of builds on that moment, and, like, that moment made sense in the moment, it it felt like who Kyrie is, and now we kind of understand why that's who Kyrie is. Like, his imposter syndrome and his inferiority complex... And how it makes him think about himself, and it also how it relates to how he thinks about others. Like, that's super interesting. And it's just the way that it's framed against Keichiro's actions, I still feel that disconnect. Like, even if I get what Komura was going for. Because oh, it's, yeah. it's and... so good, it's just 98% of the way there. Yeah, and 
it's the uncanny valley thing. It's like, ah, you're almost there, but that makes all the bits that aren't right just just stick out like sore thumbs. A whole hand of sore thumbs. It's just, yeah, it is a weird framing. I have to agree. I do adore that. Speaking of building on previous episodes... I really adore that Keitro's ringtone is some classical Beethoven, because it's, it's little things like that that are reminders of established character traits that don't outwardly mean all that much as far as the greater narrative goes, but it does show that like the writers and the editors and everyone putting this show together haven't forgotten what they've established about this character. And there's little things like that all over this show for everyone. And it makes it a more believable story in the end. It, it really does. And honestly, that bit there uh, sort of pulls me back to the way Umika wrongly characterized uh, Keichiro's relationship with Mana in a way that I want to throw out as a potentially brilliant bit of episode structuring. And I, I just say potentially because I don't know the intentionality here. Because if the that's not what happened reaction that you had and I had is the one we're supposed to have then the episode where we learn about his love of classical music shines through that much harder putting you in mind of how Keichiro knows how to manage his priorities often to the detriment of what he'd like to be doing like again I'm not saying it's an intentional thing but all the callbacks to that episode put a smile on my face generally and the way they paid off here put a smile on it, just made it a bigger smile. Uh, again, like, it, it seems that it's not... Eh, sorry, tongue-tied. Honestly, though, it's just nice to see that Kumura seems to have enjoyed that episode as much as we did. Because, showrunner or not, like, you gotta recognize a good thing when it happens. Yeah, just, like, intentional or not, I'm just really fond... It's a thing that I'm really fond of that a lot of like, current modern Sentai don't seem to do as much. Uh, the only exception I can think of in, like, really recent Sentai is uh, Q-Ranger's recurring nod to Stinger's fondness of needlecraft, like, various needlecrafting, because, like, that says so much about him as a person beyond the show. And I feel like we don't really get a lot of that in... Like, I don't really know anything about stuff like that for other... Like, in in Zuoger, yeah, Sela and Leo both like to do martial arts outside of work, but, like, okay, but they maybe they just like doing that because their work kind of lends itself toward fighting. Like, it, it doesn't... A whole bunch of people can like martial arts. It doesn't really add anything specific where you know stinger with the needlecraft where he comes from this really kind of deserty society where you know that may not be the the highest prized skill and he's kind of this edgelord angsty guy with the the traitor brother who killed his whole society and then here he is like sewing plush dolls in order to like cope with the fact that his his partner is maybe dead, like that says something very specific about him. It does, and it was it was more of a regular thing, kind of in 
early 2000s Sentai, and I haven't really watched much earlier than that, so I'm not sure if maybe, like, 90s Sentai or 80s Sentai also had something, kind of things like that. But, like, in, in Bokenger, and we brought this up earlier in the show, and I'm kind of glad we did, because now we, we talked a lot about how Sakura has, like, she's just got guns, and not even, like, silly Sentai guns, she has actual, like, guns because she was in the army um and maybe as, as i recall like was a mercenary for a while um well she or was in special that? forces oh th maybe that's what it was she was she was in special forces and there are only really there's a, that one episode of her natsuki and then um the Cinderella episode specifically is where they kind of go into the fact that she was in Special Forces. Those are the only two real, like, direct call-outs to it. But then there are other spots during the show where she'll have, like, specific knowledge about something, or they'll be playing uh, a word game and all of her words will be different types of guns. Where it's like, oh, this is, this is kind of who she is, and... You know, that she's in the Pink Ranger role kind of makes that an interesting piece of information about her. And then as as we continue to learn about her, it's like, oh, the guns kind of symbolize this emotional repression for her. And, like, through... Her relationship to guns is actually a big part of her character. It says a lot of things about her as we learn about her arc. And then, you know, in Goanger... Go on Blue is... He's always making omelets for everyone. He just cooks omelets for them all the time. Uh, that's kind of just what he does in his downtime. That's the thing we see him doing. And then an episode later on, you realize we learn that, like, oh, his mom was sick and he'd make omelets for her. And the omelets are kind of his a symbol for him taking care of people. And that's the kind of person he wants to be. Person to want to be. In in both Maji Ranger and Bokenger, you have Maji Green and Boken Silver just working real hard to try and get their team to eat some dang vegetables on the reg. And like that tells you a lot about who they are, because they're both trying to provide for the people around them. Uh, because they've both and kind of in both cases it seems to be about having lost their father. And it's, it's a little different, uh, they're in a little different scenarios where Makido's trying to replace his dad for his younger siblings, um, and Eiji's trying to just, he's only ever had his dad, and he's trying to connect through the people around him by, like, here's food. I am, t I am taking care of you. We now have this relationship. This is how I show that I'm willing to be friendly with you. And even if those are, you know, things about them that never really get the focus of an episode, Makido does have kind of an episode where he's like, I I need to replace Dad, I'm the only one that remembers him. Uh, but it's it's not specifically about his uh, vegetable thing. But it's it still says a lot of who they are, and it's... Things like this are why I get my backup so much about scenes or episodes that, um, like, fandom collectively defines as filler because often it's things that are like that which are not filler um that's not what filler is yeah 
because these are this is time spent on characters to develop their narrative and if you're developing a narrative it's not filler it's yeah, making that's... it's making the characters in the story that you're engaging with believable yeah it's like that thing how nowadays everyone calls any sort of potential logical hiccup a plot hole but that's that's not what that word means cuz like look I've seen some things that have some filler in my day, but every digression from the main plot is not filler. Yeah, like, look, and here, here's an episode that I will outright call filler in Geki Ranger, um, the, the Drunken Kung Fu episode. That is, it's a great episode. It, that episode is fantastic. It, it is complete filler. It engages not at all with the main plot of the show. It does not further the narrative. We don't really learn anything about... Uh, I can't remember Geki Blue's name. But, like, we don't really further him as a character. It's, it's absolute filler. It's not a bad episode. It's great. But it's a filler episode. And, like, people just treat filler episodes like they're bad. They shouldn't be here. Which just, it's not, that's not fair. Like, no, filler, filler episodes can be good. Again, this is, like, one of the, one of, a really enjoyable episode of Geki Ranger. But it's filler. It doesn't engage or further the plot or uh, Geki Blue's personal narrative. But it's, I just, I really appreciate that Lupot keeps adding all these touches to to their characters that make them feel like rounded people. People yeah. that actually exist outside of the plot of this show. Like, they've existed before this show started and will continue to exist after it's over. But, you know, the ideal. Get some of that sweet, sweet verisimilitude going. So, I love Keitra just hand-to-hand, no suit, no, because he can't be a Lupin Ranger, he's not fighting Gangler. Just disarming and knocking down a bunch of guys, and then just leaning over one and just and scaring him. Like that so was good. that was great. Yeah, he's got look, he he's got no charisma he's got a very low charisma score, but he has put ranks into intimidation. And seriously, like when he tosses that pop to the the, the pipe, just well I'm done with this. Ting 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 ting. Flippin' sick, dude. Like, he, he may not have rolled... Like, he may not have any points in charisma, but he definitely, like, nat 20'd that yeah, bit. Yeah, dude. Yeah, and it's just nice. Like, again, it just adds a, just a little something to him that shows personality beyond screaming about justice all day. Like, he's he's got a little bit of a sense of humor, and he's kind of loosened up a bit after, you know, kind of having his memories messed up and... All these months with his slightly less tightly wound co-workers, and now he's got some friends outside of work at this bistro that he likes to go to. He almost had a girlfriend, briefly. And, like, he can just- he feels more comfortable around people, where even if those people aren't around, he can kind of, like, start letting those little bits of his personality beyond, I am a police officer, I am time for justice. Like, he can let that out a little bit. And it's just so nice. Okay, so this is something I thought of while watching this episode, and I absolutely wanted to bring it up to you in particular, uh, because we talk a lot about Lupin the Third, 
while we discussing do. this show because it's great. And y'all, did Lupin give Splash to Fujiko Mine? Because I choose to believe that he gave Splash to Fujiko Mine. Oh, he 100% gave it to Fujiko Mine. And, like, I think it's that thing where he'd call it giving it to her later on because she already took it from him. And, like, there would be a, there'd be a bit where Kagura would, like, so you knew she was going to take it, didn't you? You, you like, made it so all the traps weren't as good so that she could just have it. That's how you give things to her. And he just, like, just grins and walks off screen without giving the answer because he's a chump. I love him. He's, he's kind of a jerk. Like, you know that, like, every time he tells the story, like, he gives it to her and it's this grand affectionate gesture. Jigen knows she stole it. Now, every time he tells this story, he's just there, like, making a face. Yeah. Jigen's and... there making that face he makes any time Fujiko comes up in conversation. Yeah, well, yeah. Mostly, I'm just, I just don't want to be there when Fujiko hears him say, oh yeah, I just gave it to her. And she's just like, uh, no, I, di I didn't disable 18 different death traps to get to that thing so that you could just tell everyone, oh, I gave it away. Also, I just want to put it out there that I love Fujiko and Jigen's, like, hate-hate relationship yeah. the most in Lupin. Like, it's my favorite thing. The it's... way they just cannot stand each other. Yep. And it's it's really nice, because, hey, I, I love friendship as much as, any, as much as I've liked most things. I like friendship quite a lot, especially in media. I also like when you can just have people just like, no, why not? Because I hate her. Every time we do a thing for her, we almost die. Yeah, but it's always almost. Oh, Lupin, you're the worst. And the best. By the way, y'all y'all should, should be watching the uh, current season. It's real, real good. It is, it is very good. It, there's an episode pretty much specifically about how much Fujiko and Jigen hate each other. And it, it's easily my favorite episode. It's ridiculous. It's it's just real good stuff. Like there's there's some really good like deep heartfelt episodes in Lupin Part Five, but and again like this episode, but is absolutely filler. It real I mean, it oh, establishes yeah. a lot of kind of how everyone interacts in their downtime, um, which is cool. It's uh, a really but it, good one though. It's it's just so good and is just entirely about how much Fujiko and Jigen hate each other. They respect each other, but they cannot stand one another. Oh yeah, well it would be foolish of either of them to not respect the other. Like it's Cause like it's yeah. it's either immediately preceded or followed by this absolutely incredible Jigen episode. Uh, it precedes. The the Jigen episode does come next. Okay, and I thought yeah, I thought so, but sick. I couldn't remember the order in which we watched them. But like, it's this in really incredible, heartfelt episode, and I love it. But just this episode about Fujiko and Jigen fighting over the bathroom so is good. the best. Uh, but back back to this these Lupins. Yes. Um, guys, the bit where Keitra like calls out to Lupin Red and is like, "There's a fire in the city." And we, it, the only way to get it out is the the versus fire truck, 
I'm not going to be able to get there in time in the car. You you getting there in the jet is the only way to like minimal minimize the casualties. Just take it and go. Like I got unreasonably emotional. I cried really hard through the entire end of that episode, like from that moment to the end of the episode. That's and frankly, I cannot tell you why it got such like a heavy response out of me. But something just really moved me about the way Keitro trusted a thief to do the right thing. And, you know, the faith he had in Lupin Red that he could that he could accomplish it and that he would instead of just taking the piece of the collection and running off and not putting out the fire. Even though, you know, he's always been so incredibly hostile towards the idea of the Lupin Rangers. And I feel like it's going to very easily rank as one of the most powerful moments in this show. Which, like, honestly is saying some stuff, because this episode was full of bits you're gonna remember later on. And yeah, it was still one of the best of those. And it kind of puts me in mind of one of their other great in-suit interactions from earlier on. Uh, you know, the one where, like, Lupin Red shoves them through a wall? And it's just like, I don't care about your idea of justice, or I, I, that's, I don't have the exact quote, but that was the bit. It was so good, and Kyrie just wants to play the cocky anti-hero, but that's a thing that really hurts to do in the face of a guy who is legit a good dude. Because, yeah, like, you can have ha-ha, I don't care, blah blah blah, but then there's this guy over here who's like, no, I care more about doing the right thing than I do about getting anything else in my life. He cares more about doing the right thing than his actual life. Yeah. And we yeah. have explicitly seen that. Yep. Again, again, that little kid just spent a whole bunch of time talking about how much he sucks, and that dude still risked his life so that kid could go on his just awful, mediocre, just nothing field trip. It's not even a cool field trip. But he still risked his life so that kid could go on that field trip, because he's a good dude. And okay, okay, speaking of powerful moments, I've got a power move for y'all. Sono, I know you said you weren't here for the farting skunk monster, and that's fair. But as far as evil plans go, and and as far as great jokes to be made about handing out a piece of the collection with that has a very specific power... That was brilliant. I know, I know, I should be just really against all the scatological humor. Apparently I'm still five, because on top of it being a good plan, I thought those were funny jokes. Just the whole, the whole like, oh god, it stinks so bad. I, I, I was dead. I was sold on it. Like, look, the plan was great. That was a great plan. And I don't doubt the second Dogranio got that that specific collection piece, him and everyone around him was like, oh, thank God we've solved the problem of that guy. We can yeah. just put this in his safe and we don't have to deal with it anymore. Like, we don't, we don't even care if he goes out there and tries to destroy Earth as long as we don't have to smell that anymore. That yeah. is all we care about. And that is great. That's hysterical. I just really ain't here for fart jokes. 
I hated it in Kyo Ryuger. Uh, Ghost Sager was the only one where I thought it was funny. Because that was one single fart joke. Um, and it involved Gosei Knight. And the the kind the juxtaposition of Gosei Knight and a fart joke. Yeah, once you've seen Gosager, you will understand. Like, that is... That was incredible. But, like, devoting a whole episode to, like, repeated fart jokes... Like, I'm not here for it. Like, I actually... I. As much as I find the end theme to Kyoryuger kind of charming, actually, I can't listen to it because one of the dinosaurs is a fart joke. And and the entire ending theme is listing off the dinosaurs. And I'm like, no, I'm not. No. <laughs> I was I'm not here. That, I'm not here for fart jokes. It's brilliant. I mean, look, it's fair. Especially since, even as I, I do say I enjoyed the all the jokes about the stank and the farting, adding the poo on the end of his lines is a bit much. Like, I I know that's not a translation thing. I I really wouldn't have minded if they would have just not translated that. I I would have got it. Because by a bit much, I did mean, like, way too much. Like, you don't need to gild this fart lily. It's already a good joke. Though, also, I... I, Just to sort of wrap this... Actually, on that, that that was part of the problem. Because when he's just standing there, like, waving his arms and nothing's happening, he's still saying poo at the end of everything, and I'm like, oh, this is- I knew exactly where it was going. Yeah, because you didn't and I'm like, I he's don't... a skunk, and then he starts talking about poo, and it's like, oh, okay. I'm like, I know exactly where this is going, and I'm not happy about it. Like, at yeah, least if he had waited till the end, I'm like, okay. I could have at least been like, okay, okay. The well, way they covered this up- to... The way they covered this up was kind of funny. And you wouldn't have had to spend the whole time bracing for it. No, it's fair. Um, although I, I just I do want to reiterate, even though you already mentioned it, man, that bit where Ghost just sticks her arm out through space to make the monster grow, because she's just like, nope, let's just be done with this. I don't, this guy smells terrible. Just, let's just have the these guys kill him. That was real good. Just, I just want to reiterate that you were right about how that was a great bit. It is a great joke. Yeah. So then, I think that's all of our notes for the main part of the show. Uh, yep. Yep, alright. Uh, then let's move on to, uh, the Lupin collection. And, and before we get going into the, uh, Lupin collection rundown... Uh, I did want to say, because we already did mention uh, Lupin Part 5, uh, the most recent episodes, as of the time of this recording, uh, did have someone briefly making extended reference to Lupin's collection, and it just it made it an extra bit of fun to be watching both of them and, and see, see the weird little bits of crossover. Like, there's an episode in recently about Zenigata, losing his memory. And it happened the same week as uh, Keichiro losing his memory. I was like, hmm, that's funny. So it's it, it's just fun to watch. That is, it is quite neat. I'm also, I think I'm a couple episodes behind. Oh, but, gosh, uh, I'm sorry. It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I don't, don't worry about it. It's fine. Um, that doesn't tell me a whole lot about the episode. So. Oh, trust me. Yeah, I, I left out the good part. Um... But, uh, Lupin Part 5 is very good, and I would 
highly recommend it. Uh, to, to, to anyone really even interested in getting into Lupin. Yeah. It's a pretty decent starting place. Yeah, but, like, I started with four, uh, but after we started watching Lupin Ranger, I, I brought out five for my partner, and over the course of the next while, we've seen most of the movies and television specials, and not in considerable chunks of just the show. been watching, like, a lot of the, the earliest ones, and it's weird because you're just spending the whole time going, oh, wow, you guys hadn't quite figured out what you were going to do with all these in the show yet. Anyway, uh, let's let's actually talk about Lupin Collection. Otherwise, I'm just going to talk about Lupin the Third for a while, and that would be fun, but not what uh, this show is supposed to be about. Uh, so 29, I caught pretty easily. It's one that I've been waiting for, because I do believe it's one that we see in the lineup that's in the opening. Ah, okay. And it is the camera mode of the Go Busters Ichigam Buster. Hmm. Um, oh, that's so what that was. Okay. Yes. Um, I so recognized far, it, but I didn't know what from. Yeah, so far, GoBusters seems to be the only Sentai with two objects that made it into the Lupin collection. Hmm. As far as I can tell, we have seen the other one very regularly. Um, but it hasn't been the center of an episode, so we haven't talked about it yet. But we will, because I'm sure it's going to come up. Possibly in 31, but who Ooh. knows. But that I do find that to be really interesting. It's the only show that has two collection pieces. I, I like to think that someone on staff was a big fan. Which is fair. Someone's I'm out a big there pushing for GoBusters. It. I'd be out there pushing for GoBusters. It's a disaster of a show, but I love it. It's got some real good stuff in it. Yeah. Um. Also, apparently, the piece is called Memory, which um, you know, that's appropriate for what it's doing. Uh, and could be referring to a lot of songs, but the one I'm going to be putting in the as mentioned and the one I figure they're probably going after is the one from the musical Cats, uh, which was later sung by Barbara Streisand and, and was one of her big hits. So, yeah. And, I mean, that's a dang good song. Um, Cats is one of those things that people give a really hard time and are just like, oh, this is weird and impenetrable. And I don't I don't really know why, because, I mean, it's weird and campy, but, like, look what franchise we're digressing from to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I will say, for all I am a big proponent of musical theater as an art form, I've just never taken the time to watch Cats. Phantom, yes, but not Cats. Uh, just as an aside to this aside, if anyone tells you about Andrew Lloyd Webber's sequel to Phantom of the Opera, like, just don't. Just <laughs> no, don't. Do, do not. Do, yeah, it's, like, the only thing it does right is it has, it does camera work like it's a movie, but it's a stage performance, and I wish more stage performances did that, because yes, it's better to see it live, but also, it's very expensive, and often very out of the way unless you live in a major town like in a major city that has a theater yeah like i'm i'm lucky i saw i did see cats on broadway um that is cool. i've seen a i've seen a small i've I, i've seen cats i've seen the lion king i've seen mamma mia and i feel like i've seen maybe one or two other things um minor minor productions on broadway um 
but I live very close to Manhattan. Yeah. So I just, like, I can. Oh, no, I think it said I've seen The Lion King a bunch of times, is what I'm thinking of. I mean, from um, what I've seen of of it, that's a pretty easily defensible thing to do. It's it's incredible. Um, but I, I've seen a few other stage musicals, not on Broadway. Um, I love musical theater. But, you know, like like I said, Cats is very weird and very campy and seems incredibly bizarre on the surface, but it's, again, it's one of those things where its heart is in the right place and it's just kind of a weird thing about the self and how it changes over time and doesn't change, but also changes a whole heck of a lot, which is actually what the song Memory is kind of about. And I love cats, and I'll go to bat for cats any day of the week. Um, Both the musical though... and the species. Yes. Um, but I'm, I'm in a small minority of people who will do that, but I will, I will go to bat for that musical. I think it's very good. Right on. But come circling back around, the collection piece from 30 actually was kind of difficult and took a bit of digging because we didn't get a great look at it, so I didn't realize that there was a sword coming out of the middle of it. Um, and so that that took a bit, and my gut was like, this is an old, this is a, this is a Showa era Sentai. Um, and it does, in fact, come from Dynaman. And it is Dynapink's Rose Saber. And I've never seen this Sentai weapon before. Like, there are a lot of older Sentai weapons that I've just, I've seen through, be it Gokaiger or, you know, like, gifts people have made or whatever. I've, I didn't know Dynapink just has a bouquet of roses with a sword sticking out of the middle of it. And now I kind of really want to watch Dynaman. Yeah, that's same. Hard same, though. Because, like, look, on top of everything else, if memory serves, well... Memory and Superhero Getter. Uh, Dynaman does a lot of extra exploding. So the thought of a bouquet of roses that is also a sword and will, like, just throw explosions. Like, that, that's freaking amazing to me. I'm here for that. I mean, I might be misunderstanding their whole thing. Because, again, it's just Gokaiger and Superhero Getter, but still great. Uh, anyway, the piece itself is called uh, La Vie en Rose. Uh, which, like, I'm butchering the French pronunciation of that. Sorry. I I am legitimately sorry. I don't I don't want to, but also I don't speak French. Um, but the most likely song for it to be referencing is a French song, uh, most famously performed by an Edith Piaf uh, from quite some time ago. Uh, there's a link to a YouTube video in the As Mentioned, as is, uh, you know, how we do this part of the show. I do think it's really interesting that Dinah Pink has a sword, though. We don't get yeah. pinks with sword like pink-specific swords very often. No, I, I, th I do wish we would go back to like everyone having their own special weapon, and also Pink gets a sword. And like, I respect the bow. Don't get me wrong, but oh yeah, like I, I respect the bow. Like, what other, what other pink-specific weapons have there been? Um, what did, what did? Uh, Toki 5 have? What did Kagura have? She had a oh, she weird, had claw. like... She had the, a weird the, claw like the thing. Claw, which I thought was a really cool idea, but 
I, they didn't, I re- it required a lot of CGI for her to use it, so she never yeah, really used it. Yeah, for, like, the shrinking it. function? That was weird. So, like, she never really used it. Um, it's just, it's very rare for when there are, uh, like, ranger-specific weapons for Pink to get a sword. That's a Red Ranger thing. Yeah, it is. Sadly. I, I want more, like, more sword-wielding Pinks. Thank yeah. you. So that she's got, like, this sword, and that it's this crazy bouquet of roses Utena sword. Like, I'm down for that. I want to watch Dynaman now. Yeah, same. Well, we'll track it down. Give it a watch. It'll be fun. Uh, so then, I think that's it for the Lupin collection. Uh, do we have any predictions for the next episode? Or um, just the series generally? Gosh is gonna do some cool stuff. Yep. Go it's gonna, gonna be, be evil. absolutely horrifying. Um, we're gonna probably talk a lot about body horror and how I hate it. (laughs) How it makes me super uncomfortable. But I'm, I'm super here for Ghost just being evil as heck. I'm just, I'm just gonna be over here hoping, even though I know it's not going to happen, that they bring in one of the villains from that, uh, Space Squad movie. Uh, he's Cronin from Planet Berg. Or maybe it was Berg from Planet Cronin. You know, he was named after David Cronenberg, one of the biggest body horror filmmakers, you know, ever. He's so, everything, he just, it's so uncomfortable. I love it. Uh, Well then, I I guess that's it for us this time around. Uh, We'll be back soon to, uh, talk about the new common Rider and also the next episodes of this Sentai show that we are enjoying so very, very much. We, I, we really are. Uh, and so then, for Laser Knees and the rest of the TOE Network, I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono. And don't get kicked by a horse and die.